At the start of each episode of the television series Home of the Year, a great question is posed. What makes a house a home? But, as Season 7 draws to a close, this programme has yet to provide any answers. Home of the Year has a simple premise. Each week, three experts, this season two architects and an interior designer, visit three homes. In total, 21 homes have been competing to be crowned Home of the Year. The judges are introduced to us as design legends and award-winning, and it is they, not the homes nor the homeowners, who are clearly the stars of the show. The trio are cast as characters, adopting reality show tropes. There is the villain who says what they think, there's the unpredictable one who speaks from eccentric experience, and there's the balanced one who sees both sides keeping the peace. As disagreements unfold on screen and on social media, the audience is drawn into the drama. To accumulate possessions and objects is often criticised, but as anthropologist Daniel Miller has shown, the life of a home is nourished by the physical objects of family and memory that act as a kind of supporting cast in our everyday domestic stories. We hold on to things from our ancestors. We put a gift from our mother on the mantle. A picture of no value to you might well mean the world to me. As Miller has shown over decades of slow, careful study and observation, objects help people form and sustain social relationships inside and outside the home. However, on Home of the Year, objects and pictures and chairs and things are only useful as props to support whether, or often not, the judges view them as making sense or fitting in to some grand design plan according to their expert opinions. It's not enough to have things that matter to us just lying around us. For the judges, homeowners should be curators and collectors too. From house to house, some kind of home life is presented on screen, but it hardly reflects the life lived by the audience watching, especially a year into lockdown. These homes are tidy, organised, impeccably presented. There's no mess, no room full of things to sort out, no dog-eating chair, no table working as a place to eat, to do conference calls, to do homework. There's no IKEA flatpack waiting. As the judges discuss and debate or decry the homes, the audience watching from home agrees, disagrees, tweets, laughs, is appalled, feels jealous, home after home, week after week. Then, in the end, votes are cast, the judges have the amazing ability to mark the homes, homes being perhaps the most socially, emotionally and historically complex of things, out of ten. They also do so while standing in parallel at individual white lecterns, like members of government at a press conference, the staging surely intended to convey the gravity of their expert home assessments. As Deborah Phillips has noted, one aim of these TV shows is to transform television experts into television tastemakers. In every episode at each home, the homeowner cautiously but proudly places a red disc on their favourite spot for the judges to discover. The dramatic TV device here is that potentially their favourite part of their home, which was revealed only to the audience, will later be rejected without them being present to defend it. With whom will we side? With the homeowner who lives each day in a house they appear to have built with their bare hands, or the expert judges simply doing the rounds? Because no matter how good the homeowner's taste, it is statistically likely that with so few spaces left in that final, their taste may be deemed to be not good enough. And this is the point of it all. 
The perfect homes portrayed are surely chosen because they look good on television, not because they will help us understand what makes a house a home. The homes appear to be drawn from a specific economic class, a group who have the ways and means to buy or build their perfect home and the confidence to put them on the television. For much of the audience, these homes must be far out of reach. Their own homes, which may even be rented lest we forget, must feel somehow less by comparison. Far from being passive entertainment or a how-to-do-it program about making a better home, McElroy argues that home-based lifestyle television shows become occasions for viewers to gain an understanding of what might be their shared national domestic identity. These TV shows thrive in societies where home ownership, above all forms of other domestic tenure, is the most valued and celebrated housing ideology. So, does this show reflect Ireland? It's likely the makers of Home of the Year would not claim the programme to be representative. Perhaps they simply mean it to be entertaining, a way to escape. But in 2021, a market-led ideology of home ownership continues to dominate politics and is limiting the homemaking possibilities for hundreds of thousands of citizens, and there really is no escaping that. Home-based television shows claim to entertain, educate or make design accessible, yet to survive they must exploit the commercial potential of house and home. Night after night the audience is encouraged to look around and to do more, to buy more, to renovate more, as if this and this alone makes a house a home. Home of the Year goes one step further in that every vote cast by the judges undermines and strips the homeowner of their individual home histories and their design agency and all in the pursuit of good taste. What makes a house a home? Let you and you alone be the judge of that. <laughs>